Welcome to episode number 81 of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name's Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach, and I'm so glad that you're here. So this morning was typical for, um, you know, a parenthood. I feel like it was one of those where I was getting ready and all of a sudden I get the text and then instantaneously, like almost within a few seconds, got a phone call from the school and I thought, well, this can't be good. And sure enough, the power is out and there's no school today. So I figured I would sit down have my cup of coffee, record this podcast for you all and uh, get it done before this house gets crazy and before I leave to go today to Dallas, Texas for a conference for the Life Coach School. Um, and I'm so excited. I'm number one excited to get out of the house and you know get away for a little bit and travel on my own and have a couple days to myself to sleep in a hotel room. I don't know about you, but I think that's one of the most lovely things as a parent and as a mom to be able to go over to a hotel room and have a night and have the whole bed to myself. I mean, amazing. So, um, so I'm, I'm super excited. I will not let uh, the fact that these children are going to be running around here like crazies. Um, you know, uh, I will not let that deter me from experiencing a lot of joy and excitement about getting ready to go to Dallas. And I'm going to tell you something. I just did another Rent the Runway. And I don't know if you have ever used Rent the Runway, but uh, I've done it several times. And usually when I have a couple events close together, I'll go in and do a month, you know, like get a uh, package of five outfits and um, get them sent. I've done enough times where I'm getting much better with the sizing and they're starting to understand, you know, my shape and and um, predict sizes for me that actually fit, which is great. Uh, and so... I got a um, set of five pieces this time and all five of them fit, which if you've ever done the Rent the Runway is incredible because usually there's one, at least sometimes two, and on a terrible uh, assortment, there's three that just don't fit. So so I'm super excited and really looking forward to uh, you know trying out some new clothes and having some fun and getting out to Dallas and seeing all my coach people. Um, having a coaching community is, um, it's just been one of the best things about, you know, the past four years and building a coaching business, like just having other people who, you know, they are, they know how their brains work. They know how to outsmart them. They know that they get stuck. They still reach out for help and they are, you know, fearless in terms of wanting to go out into the world and, and, you know, really help people, which, which, you know, as an advanced practice nurse, I can relate to. So, um, so I'm super excited and, uh, so Dallas, here we come. Um, I, you know, I think today I want to just, just talk about this one, a client that I had recently, and I think her story is so uh, familiar to many of you, and um, and I wanted to just share it and just share some of the pearls that we discussed and really some of the moments and opportunities that came out of that discussion because it was really powerful. It was powerful, I think, for her. Well, I, I know she said it was powerful, but... Um, I, it was really powerful me for me as the coach and also as an advanced practice nurse and someone in business. And, you know, I, every time I work with a client and they come to me and we have a coaching session, you know, it's very often that I can relate to what they're going through and maybe I've been through it myself or, you know, I have a different perspective, but, um, but, but there's usually some, you know, element where I can glean and really take it into my own life and really learn from it. Right. And benefit from it. And this was no different. This really was a great example of it. So 
So I had a client and she said, um, we were talking about, you know, her, her job and, um, and she's in a traditional healthcare model and an NP. And she said, you know, I just feel like I work so hard for this and, you know, I'm here and I have tried to advocate for myself and getting a raise and, you know, I'm in a graded pay scale, like she's in an organization where there's just not a lot of wiggle room despite her asking and, you know, despite presenting RVUs and, you know, really coming up with uh, like understanding her productivity and presenting in a way that clearly uh, defines how much value she is creating, right? This is one of the exercises that typically I go through with the advanced practice nurses because I think it's a really powerful one, which is to look at your RVUs to understand, you know, what you're producing and how much value you are creating for your organization. We all know that you've you've shown up for clinic and, you know, been on call and, and seen the triage patients. And we know there's incredible value that's created for the patients for sure. I, I don't think that's uh, up for debate, but what is fascinating is that when you start to understand the business side of what we do in terms of value creation, it can be really impressive. Um, I would say, and just from after looking at salaries and, and really looking at productivity rates and looking at some of the MGMA data or Sullivan Cotter data or or um, you know, some of the larger um, uh, firms that track uh, salaries and then track RVUs, productivity, and um, value generation uh, in the form of RVUs and dollars. You know, it's really fascinating to see that the majority of NPs, you know, if you get, especially if you're an NP, if you get into a busy practice setting, you know, you're seeing patients four to five days a week and doing some procedures. I mean, most NPs are generating, if they're busy, they're probably generating at least, you know, anywhere from 400 to 600 grand a year in revenue. And, um, which is great, right? Like that's, that's a, I mean, it's a huge value add for an organization and, and sometimes it's higher. Sometimes it's, you know, I've seen as high as 650. Sometimes we're seeing patients, you know, uh, people who are in an urgent care setting and they're turning through, you know, 40, 50 patients a day. And then they're, and they're doing some procedures, they're doing earwax removal and they're doing INDs and, you know, and, and for those people, we're, we're also seeing that they've got really a ton of value creation, right? And again, we're just, just a blanket statement to be very clear. There's no question about whether or not we provide value at the bedside or provide value to the patient. We're just talking really about a revenue from a revenue generation perspective. So, um, so there's a lot of, uh, benefits, I think, to looking at how much you create in terms of productivity. So we had gone through this exercise with this client in particular and knew, you know, the ins and outs of her RVUs and, um, you know, her employer had, had provided some of that data. And, um, and so we knew, you know, we could tell how much, you know, revenue she had generated on a monthly basis, quarterly basis and annual basis. And so, but she was feeling, you know, frustrated and she said, you know, I work so hard for this. I bust my ass and I come in here, I see patients, you know, four and a half days a week. I, I had to fight to get four hours of administrative time. Um, and, you know, that wasn't something I got when I got here. I had to negotiate for it. And she said, you know, I am swamped. I'm just... I've got patients at the wazoo. I've got high complexity patients who, and this is a typical story that many of you can relate to. I know I felt it when I was in, you know, traditional healthcare model, which is that, 
you know, patients come in for a preventative exam, they know it's covered, you know, during a preventative exam. And then, you know, preventative exam is rarely a preventative exam, right? I mean, you know, whether it's, oh, I have this itch, or I have this rash, or, hey, you know, it, it burns to pee, or blah, 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 right? There's usually some additional, you know, add on to that, right? Um, and so she said, you know, I'm just getting swamped. She's like, I've got you know, tons and tons of patients and, um, and she's like, and not a ton of help. And so, um, and, you know, being as, as many of you can probably relate for those of you who are in the office and you run, uh, you work in a department where you have people who are on call, but you maybe are not the on-call person. If you are the person who's there, you know, the majority of the time, anywhere from three to five days a week, you are probably the person who's fielding the majority of phone calls or you're, you are the one to whom the nurses come when they say, Hey, you know, um, so-and-so is out of the office and won't be back for a couple of days. And they're on call and they don't check their in basket. And so can you look at this result, the patient's calling the results back, you know, but you know, they want to know what the treatment plan is. And then you're like, Christ. And then you got to go through the whole, you know, chart and you're trying to figure out what the plan is. And, you know, look, if you're, if you're, if you're one of your, um, colleagues actually wrote a nice note and put in a great plan in there. Probably not terribly difficult to understand what to do, but, but then, you know, it's, it's work, right? It's, it's work. And, and many of us, I think after many years, we've just gotten to the point where we've gotten good at just doing the work and, um, you know, showing up and taking care of business, right? We call it in my house, TCB, just take care of business. And so, um, so many of us have gotten really good at doing that and right. It's a lot. It's a, it's, it's extra work and above and beyond the extra 25 to 30 patients, you know, that you're trying to manage on your own and closing charts and taking care of your own labs and making sure your own in basket is up to snuff. So, and she just was so, um, I, on the surface level, I, you know, we were talking about, you know, as a coach, we talk about feelings quite a bit. Right. And I said, you know, what do you, how do you feel when you think that, right? Like I work so hard for this. And she was like, I'm really frustrated. And what was fascinating was that we, we were kind of d discussing it because frustration usually is a surface level emotion. And we were saying, you know, but is there anything below the surface? Like we just like, if that's the first layer of the onion and we peel it back, what's the next one that really kind of, you know, you're frustrated, but like, is there anything else? And what really came out for her was that she's like, I just feel like despair. I just feel this heaviness in my chest and this big weight on my shoulders that I, like I worked so hard and this is what I've got and there's no way out. And she's like, and I just feel just this like sadness and, and fear. She's like, but she said she really narrowed in on the fact that it felt to her like, it's just, I feel really sad. And it was fascinating because, right? Because on the surface level, frustration, right? It sounds pretty familiar. Many of you, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been in a lot of situations where I've been frustrated in my job. But, and sometimes it is, it's just plain frustration because it's annoying because you don't have the tools you need to get your job done. Or, you know, you, you can't find your LPN, your MA, and you're like, you know, like needing something, right? You know, for the patient. And, um, and it is frustration, but sometimes it's that next level and it's just like, but what, is there anything else below the surface? And, 
she just like was like, it's just so sad. Like I just, I worked, I went to school. I have, you know, created, um, you know, worked as a nurse. She's like, I've worked as a advanced practice nurse for the better part of 15 years, you know, and this isn't like a, you know, just to preface that this isn't a new grad. This isn't somebody who's, you know, uh, come in and, and worked, you know, six months and is like, it's so hard. And Oh my God, I'm so sad. I, you know, this is somebody who's really invested in our profession. She has invested in, in patients for 15 years. Uh, right. And that doesn't even include, that's her experience as an advanced practice nurse. It doesn't include her experience as a nurse. And so I just, we were, I, I said, all right, so let's kind of explore it. And, and we were just thinking about, you know, kind of talking through what happens when you feel so sad that you feel just this heaviness of despair because you look at your profession and you look at your clinic and you look at your boss and you look at your patients and your EMR and you look at your whole institution of work and you're just like, this is what, like, I just, I work so hard for this, this bullshit on a day to day basis. She's like, and I just like, she's like, I just like shut down. She's like, I don't want to do anything. She's like, I don't want to go to work. You know, Sundays are terrible. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, I go to work and I kind of dread it. And, you know, I, when I get home from work, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make dinner. I just am so annoyed because, you know, I've not done, I've got charts to close and I've got, you know, labs that I haven't gotten to because I had to do somebody else's labs because they're on vacation or blah, or they're in the OR and not checking their in basket. And, um, and, and, you know, and I said, you know, one of the common questions that, that we, um, you know, uncover usually it's also, you know, what, what are you not doing when you're feeling that heavy weight of despair? And she's like, well, I'm not, I'm not working out. I'm not, you know, doing the things that I love to do. I'm not connecting with my kids. I'm, I'm not, you know, the person I was, she's like, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm like a, a version of myself right now. And, um, and what was fascinating was that at the end of that coaching conversation, um, we got to this, you know, and well, actually in the middle, uh, we got to this place where she said she realized that what was happening for her. And she said, you know, I work so hard for this. And, and she's like, and I'm in the process, the way that I'm thinking about this is that I'm, cause I'm not feeling, she's not feeling her despair. Right. She's just like, I, I notice that I feel this heaviness of despair, but like, I don't actually feel the emotion. I just avoid it. And I just like want to Netflix or grab like a glass of wine or like bitch and moan to somebody who will listen to me or right. And look, you got to remember, we're not here to judge any of this because I've done my fair share of bitching and moaning, Netflixing and using wine as a coping mechanism. I don't do a lot of, as much of that anymore, but sure shit been right there, been there, done that. So this is not a judgment of, of anyone. And if you felt any of this, you're not alone. Let's just be very clear, right there. You're not alone at all. Um, and to feel despair is to be human. Nothing's gone wrong here. Very normal. And we also know that when we don't deal with despair, when we don't feel it, when we don't allow it to be there and process that emotion, we do other things, you know, right? I just read an article this morning about, you know, the, the uh, why stress makes us eat. And it was really interesting. It said on a uh, recent um, aggregate of data out of Australia, um, I think on their, like, some of their data that they have off of their um, uh, national health care data, they surveyed their um, uh, all 
people in Australia, very large, huge N. And I think they had, um, I don't know, 300 or 400,000 responses. So like a decent N. And, um, you know, why do you, like when you get stressed, do you number one overeat? Do you number two not eat? Do you number three not change really any of your, you know, behavior around eating? And it said, you know, about 40% of people, you know, respond that they overeat when they feel stressed. Um, about 40% of people stop eating because they just feel like, you know, nauseous or, or they don't want to eat. And then about 20% said that they don't change any of their food behaviors due to stress. And I thought that was fascinating. And I, I thought about all of the people in our profession and I'm talking from personal experience too, who have used, you know, who, when they get stressed, they, you know, go to food as a way to, um, cope, right? And or maybe it's booze for you, or maybe it's Netflix, or maybe it's brownies, or maybe it's Oreos, or but we go to food as a source to feel better, thinking that the food's going to make us better. And and look, some of the foods are really created to create those dopamine highs, right? And they hit the reward and pleasure centers of the brain. And and you know, like think of how the current chip is, um, you know, potato chip is manufactured so that you get high crunchability so that there's high concentration of sugar, fat, and salt so that you are, where that chip is literally once that sugar, fat, salt hits the brain, it is creating a reward sensation. There's a dopamine release. And then all of a sudden, right, that quick hit of dopamine release is like, oh yes, I finally feel better in the moment. Right. And your brain is like, God, I feel so much despair and I've worked so hard for this. And like, where are the chips? Right. And then all of a sudden in that moment, it feels really good. But what happens? Well, if you eat a whole bag of chips, you know what happens. Not only number one, do you wake up and your, you know, fingers are like sausages, but in addition, you've plowed through an entire bag of chips. You've actually created a new neural pathway for yourself, which is that when I feel stress and when I feel these big heavy emotions and I don't actually feel them, what I do is I turn to food and then I start using food as a way to cope. And then, and, and I feel that, that quick release of dopamine because the food is designed and engineered that way to help me, you know, to really create that sensation in my brain. And so I create this new, um, desire within myself, which is that if I feel stress and I go to the food, I'm going to feel better in the moment. But again, you and I both know that do that every night of the week. And all of a sudden within a couple of weeks, your pants won't fit. And all of a sudden, if we tested your cholesterol, right. And did a lipid panel on you, we probably noticed that your lipid panel was you know, drastically different over three weeks of eating a bag of chips every night than it was, you know, three weeks before when you were, you know, munching on cruciferous veg and, you know, uh, you know, having lean protein and, and protein shakes and shit. Right. So, but, but isn't it fascinating that many of us, right, if, if there is any truth to this data from this, um, you know, aggregate of data out of Australia, that 40% of people actually cope with food, like, right, think about what happens when you're feeling that, right, I work so hard for this and that big, heavy feeling of despair is there. And if you're in that 40% and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, sometimes I go to chips just because like, I don't want to feel all those feelings. It's, it's really hard and feels really scary. And like, I don't, I don't even know how to process that. So like, where's the wine? Where's the chips? Like, give me the quick dopamine hit, right? Wine's a great example of this too, right? In the moment, it's great. feels great to drink a glass of wine. The Dopamine hit is fantastic for most people, right? And then what happens? Well, drink a glass, probably not that big of a deal. might have a change in terms of your sleep pattern that night. Drink a bottle, you will change your sleep pattern that night. You will have a terrible night of sleep. I mean, most people, right? Your liver is all of a sudden on high drive because it's like, whoa, we've got a lot of wine here, a lot of alcohol to process. Um, 
right? So that quick hit of dopamine is so good in the moment. But man, long term, you know, drink a bottle of wine every night, watch your liver enzymes, and let's see over three weeks what happens, right? Let's see what happens with pancreatitis. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's fascinating if we just look at it from, if we're just like looking at this whole picture. And I don't know about you, maybe this is a familiar story to you. It isn't for me. It definitely is for me. These are things that I've done in the past, gone to wine to cope, you know, gone to gummies to cope, gone to food to cope. And, you know, so I get it. I have no judgment of, of you know, people who, who also do this. Um, and I, I, I want us to just be aware that this is going on, right? We're just avoiding that big feeling of despair. And I think in the process, we just make it harder for ourselves. And that's what's fascinating, right? You have this thought like, of, I worked so hard and, and this client in particular, you know, we were working through this and she was like, I worked so hard for this. And she's like, and then I feel this heaviness of despair, but I don't want to feel the emotions. So I just shut down and I want to Netflix and I want to just go out and have all the good things to give me the quick dopamine hit. And then what happens in the moment is that I make it harder for myself because I'm not feeling any of those emotions. I'm drinking the wine. I'm eating the food. My weight is going up. I sleep like shit. And I wake up and I'm like, no better off. In fact, I'm worse off because I'm probably dehydrated. My fingers are like sausages from the chips and, you know, my pants aren't going to fit, you know, right? Like I'm, my pants are going to feel a little bit snug in the next couple of weeks if I keep up that behavior, right? And so what do I do? The res- I just I make it, literally make it harder for myself. And so here, the, the funny thing is that like when I work with clients, you know, and what we did with this client is that. You know, many of my clients, once they come into our community and they start to learn about how you can outsmart your brain and really become an observer of your brain and understand what, you know, how our feelings and thoughts are connected and, and how those big feelings like despair can drive certain actions that we take and that we don't take. Um, once we start to understand and really break that down, what's fascinating is that many of us start to think like, oh, well, I should just change my thoughts. I shouldn't just, I should just not feel despair. <laughs> which would be great, right? If you're just like, I feel this heaviness of despair and you just in your brain were like, I shouldn't feel that. And like, we could just flip the switch on and off, right? And and what I would tell you is that, you know, that is probably not a healthy coping mechanism because when a feeling is there and you have a vibration in your body and it feels heavy, you get, that's something that's in your body. We're out of, we're, we've gone beyond the realm of being in your brain as a thought, right? We had a thought that, that just created that vibration, created that feeling. And so we've got to process that. Or if we don't, what happens? Well, what just, you know, exactly what we just talked about. Netflix, wine, cookies, chips. Feels great in the moment, not great for long-term goals, right? Now, some of you are like, but what if I do it once in a while? Well, look, I, you know, uh, you get to choose the kind of you know, life you want, the experience you want to have. And as humans, we very often go through these moments. You know, maybe it's a stressful time. Maybe somebody in your family passes away or there is a, you know, moment that's really particularly stressful. Um, you know, a child who develops a condition and, um, or a child who dies. I mean, there are all these moments in life that are terribly unpredictable and certainly unpleasant, right? And, and your job is to, for you, figure out how do I navigate those in a way that serves me, in a way that doesn't harm me, and in a way that doesn't make it harder for me down the road and set me up for, you know, the shit that I don't want, you know, which for me in particular has always been like, I, when I get stressed, I, I, I used to quite a bit turn to food, 
right? And then I would just watch my weight go up and down and up and down. It would be this roller coaster. Like if you've ever been, you know, if you've been in the world of obstetrics and gynecology or you've been in, uh, you know, uh, you understand patterns of, you know, contractions on a toco, like that's how my weight would go. Be steady for a little bit, then we'd spike, and then I'd, you know, get a little bit out of control. I'd feel my pants would be super tight, and then all of a sudden I'd come back down, right? And I'd figure out, and then I'd get back on the wheel, and I would, you know, and look, sometimes that's that's just kind of how some of us experience it. But what I've done over the past four years is not let big emotions like despair derail me, and in particular, not derail my weight never gone back up to that, that high point that I was. Um, and there's a reason for that. And it's called feeling your feelings. It's called not avoiding. It's called not shutting down when you feel something heavy, like despair and not using Netflix, uh, as a way to cope and not using wine as a way to cope and not using cookies, Oreo cookies in particular. Um, and chips, actually I should say chips, chips are kind of, those were always a stronghold for me. Um, and and some of you are like, but do you still eat chips? And the answer is yes, I still do eat chips. I just eat them in a different way. I don't eat them when I am terribly stressed out. I don't go to them as a way to feel better. I've learned to process some of those emotions like despair, right? I don't need big emotions making life any harder. And I certainly don't need, you know, chips and bags of chips making my life harder, you know, and making my pants not fit. Like I'm over that shit. It drives me crazy. Um, and so with this client, we really focused in, she was really like, oh, so I'm just making it harder for myself. And we both agreed that, yeah, that's in fact what was happening. And it was fascinating just to see it and to be aware of it because then she started to think, well, what if I didn't, but how do I not make it harder because it feels so hard? And so we talked about, well, how do you, how do you process your emotions? Like when you feel terrible despair, because it just feels like, you know, all this time spent, you know, all the time and love and energy poured into this, you know, this 60 hours a week bullshit. And she was like, well, I don't know. So we came up with a plan for her how to, number one, start to feel some of that despair, how to budget some time into her day to actually feel some of those feelings rather than avoiding them. And and then we started to talk about, you know, the other options. Like if, if you, if she wanted to change how she thought about her work and if she declined to create more hard for herself, right? Because the job's hard, the labs are hard, like, you know, the whole thing is hard, right? And, and we don't often have control over that. Right. Like I can't, I can't just control the fact that my partner who goes into the OR twice a week just doesn't check their labs and doesn't return patient phone calls for three or four days. Can't control that. I mean, I could have a conversation and be like, Hey man, like check your, check your shit, get it done. Don't leave it for other people. You know, your patients, like they're calling, like have a touch point with your nurse once a day, for God's sakes. Uh, have the nurse go through, you know, the things that are high priority and answer them so that this doesn't fall to right. Right. We could have those conversations and I'm, I'm an advocate for having them absolutely positively. And, you know, um, but we still can't change other people's behaviors <laughs> as much as we'd probably like to try. We still can't, you know, have them do what we want as much as we think we can. Right. 
So if that's off the table, if I can't just go and change how my partners act and I can't go and change whether or not my system pays me more, despite the fact that they have a shitty, you know, um, graded pay scale in place for all advanced practice nurses, despite if they're productive or, or if they're not productive, um, you know, if I can't change that, then what's the next step? Well, you know, all that's left is, are you willing to look at what you do have control over? Is that, you know, what if you, what if you were willing to change some of that? What could that look like? And, and for her during our conversation, as often happens with many of my clients, sometimes just uncovering this kind of pattern of thinking and is really powerful. And that's really, you know, that's kind of the point of awareness and really the, the big gem of our session, right? Like, oh my gosh, they're, they're able to see it in a way that they couldn't see it before. Like they, they can see it happening. They're like, oh yeah, I feel it. And then I go home and then the kids ask me like, what's for dinner? And I just snap because I'm just like shut down because God, it was just terrible. And I worked so hard for all this shit and I'm you know, and my daycare rates just went up and, you know, somebody needs a new pair of $200 soccer cleats or $10 soccer cleats or what, you know, and you're just like, I just can't. Right. And so, so sometimes just seeing that whole pattern in motion can be so powerful for a client. And, um, and then, and then sometimes too, sometimes the, I think the, the better that we get, what usually happens is that sometimes there's some room, but then to say, all right, so What do you want to choose to think about this situation? You know, being at work, of working in the place where you do, of being the advanced practice nurse who works in a uh, system that has a graded, you know, pay scale that you can't negotiate your way out of. What do you want to choose to think about that? Does it serve you? Does it not serve you? Is that a place where you want to invest in? Is that a place where you want to stay? You know, and and what's fascinating for many of my clients, the people who usually come to me, I think, get to a point where they feel like you know, being in a traditional system for them just doesn't work anymore because they, they, they see this pattern, right. And they just get their, you know, they see that, right. Like they can, and they take ownership, right. They're like, all right, so look, I'm being a little bit of a victim here, right. I'm not taking ownership for what I have control over. I'm not exerting the level, the degree of control, which I do have, and I'm making this harder for myself. So they, you know, they, they make changes, right. They, um, they show up more powerfully and more confident and, and then they look at it and then they're like, and okay, so if I change my behavior and I change, you know, my thinking patterns and I'm willing to do that, to come in with a great mindset or to really work on it manage my mind while I'm there in the process, do I still want to be there? Do I still want to invest in that kind of a system? Do I still want to work hard for this? Right. Because we could look at the system and be like, yeah, I work hard for this, and it's still not worth it, right? Isn't that a beautiful one? That's so different. Can you see the difference in that? Like, I work so hard for this, and that big feeling of despair. And when we kind of look at that whole process and we say, oh, wow, when I think that way about my current institution, I just make it so much harder for myself. And not only do if I cope with food, my pants don't fit in a few weeks or a few, you know, months, but like, but what if we look at it and we're like, yeah, I work so hard for this and it's not worth it here. And then all of a sudden I'm looking around and I'm like, well, what would be worth it? Maybe it's starting a private practice. Maybe it's, you know, leaving the industry altogether. Maybe it's building an online course so I never have to, 
interact with a human, right, and do any sort of a visit, a 99213 or 99214 again, right? That's where the opportunity is. But we got to clean up. We got to address the despair. And we can't get to, it's hard to get to, you know, being that private practice owner or getting to a place where you have clarity and you're like, you know, operating from a very powerful place and you're creating, you're only engaging in the systems where you are seeing the return on investment for yourself, right? It's hard to get to that place when you're, you know, walking around and you're like, oh my God, I'm so shut down. I just want a Netflix. Oh my God. These people ask me one more question. I'm going to lose it. Yeah. Right. Got to clean that. We got to clean it up. Well, look, we don't have to, but I would offer that. I think it serves you because carrying it all around and not addressing it doesn't serve you. And it just creates burnout and weight gain and, you know, frustration and, and that heavy sinking feeling in the, you know, for a lot of us that just like, I'm so out, I'm done. I can't. Right. So, so, so let's review. Now, number one, if you've ever felt despair in your profession or in our profession, totally normal, nothing's gone wrong here. Just want to say that you're not alone. Number two, you have options, right? You get to choose when your feelings come along, whether or not you process them, whether or not you allow them to be there, whether or not you react to them and you yell at people, um, namely your loved ones, or you take it out on them, or whether or not you, you know, you feel the feeling and you tell yourself you shouldn't feel that way because you should just be happy that you have a paying job and, you know, and a six-figure income and blah, 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 right? Um, you could just avoid it and just be like, oh my God, where's the wine? Go get me a glass of wine, right? You could just like keep a bottle of wine with a cork in the fridge and have a glass of wine or two every night, right? You could, you get to choose. And I'm not here to judge because look, as we have revealed, I've done all that shit. And you get to choose when it serves you and when it doesn't. Sometimes a night with Netflix and wine, it's fantastic. But when it's driven by despair, when I only go and do those things because I feel terrible, I don't want to address how I'm feeling, and so I just go as a way to avoid how I feel, that's so much more challenging. There's so much more opportunity, right? Like you have, I, one of the things that, you know, just from starting my private practice, we were just looking at the numbers yesterday for how, um, how much revenue has been generated. And I think in, you know, we've been open less around about 45 days or so. And I, we just hit um, under um, about $6,500 in revenue, you know, in 45 days. Like what, what if that's the turnaround? What if you're, what if we're like, I work so hard for this and I feel this terrible despair. And what if I could, what if like in 90 days things could be drastically different? What if that were possible? Cause it is. I'm like living proof of it. All my clients are too, which is amazing. Yeah. So what if that's possible for you? What if it could be? Right. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, but you are the only one who can control whether or not you make that move and whether or not you take that next step to really look at what's helping me, what's hurting me, what's serving me, what's not serving me. And then to really get clear and ask yourself, what the fuck do I want? Right? Take some time, answer those questions, ask them number one, and then answer them, write it down, hire a coach, work with somebody. Don't make it harder for yourself. You don't have to. We got options. Come on. 
and then come on over to Nurses Living the Good Life, <laughs> right? That's what we do. All right. Well, I hope that was helpful for you. I thought that was just a wonderful moment for me just to coach her. It was a wonderful moment for my client just to see kind of, you know, how that thought pattern, whether or not it was serving her or if it wasn't. And, um, and I hope it was helpful for you too, because maybe you can relate and, uh, and maybe you also know too that you're not alone and that it's normal. These emotions are totally normal and they're not going anywhere. Despair is going to come and go over the next, you know, however many years I have left on this planet, God willing, right? Despair is going to come and go just like joy, frustration, insecurity, embarrassment, um, powerfulness, grief, acceptance, or the emotions are going to come and go. Your job is to make sure that, you know, you're riding the wave, right? Their emotions are like waves. Your job is to, like get on your fucking surfboard and make sure you ride them, like ride them, right? And if you fall off of your surfboard, you just get back up or you paddle to try to get back to shore. You get back on the damn board and you keep going, okay? All right. If you need some help with that, reach out. Okay. Good to talk with you, team. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and I will see you next time. Take care. Hey, it's Anne. If private practice is calling your name, I want to invite you to come and check out Private Practice in 30 Days, where you're going to learn how to get up and running and start making money in a short amount of time. It has never been easier to start a private practice, and I'm going to walk you through every step of the way. So come check us out. Go to www.anconkleycnm.com. Go up to work with me and you will find it in the list, Private Practice in 30 Days online course. Come check us out. Let's get going and start building that version of the good life for you today.